just to give you a heads up, why do we have 1 Peter 2 up there? We are taking a break, um, maybe one, maybe two weeks from Acts. Reason being, I needed a, I need more time, to be perfectly honest. Acts 15 is about the Jerusalem Council. Uh, it is going to deal with the whole issue of the law, the Mosaic law, and what part do we keep and what part don't we, and is, are we supposed to keep the law or not keep the law, and the ramifications of it, and Acts 15, I wanted a little bit more time to get my mind around all that I'm going to deal with there, so it's going to take a while for us to make our way through Acts 15, uh, and I wanted to make sure I dotted all my I's and crossed all my T's before I did that, so I'm fairly sure y'all will give me a little bit of grace, right, and give me a little bit of extra time. I want to make sure I nail that down. Uh, well... Uh, it is often the, co the question that is asked, do we keep the Ten Commandments? Are we supposed to keep the Ten Commandments? Uh, is that a requirement for us who believe? Uh, it's a great question, isn't it? Not going to tell you this week. <laughs> I'll tell you next week or the week after, okay? And we'll talk through that issue. But I thought this would be an appropriate passage. Uh, you know, there's... There's a few passages in the Bible that really stand out, especially in the New Testament, that give us kind of a concise gospel presentation and what life's all about for the Christian. This is one of them in 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, it, it ranks up there with uh, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, the gospel presentation at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 15, or Colossians chapter 1. Uh, it's just an excellent passage. And it deals with something that is... Um, uh, on our minds a lot right now, especially in light of the fact that 300 uh, more professing Christians yesterday were killed by ISIS and the reality of uh, persecution may be coming to our country one day soon. How do we deal with persecution? How do we deal with suffering? And um, while we are not going through persecution in America, there are sufferings that we all encounter regularly uh, we live on a cursed planet, correct? And so how we deal with persecution, how we deal with suffering, how we deal with loved ones that are lost, how we deal with uh, the difficulties that we experience in our life when somebody mistreats us or uh, disease or something comes into our life, this passage is the answer. It tells us how to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Look in your Bibles over at Luke 9 just to prep us for this. Um, again, we've talked about this passage numerous times over the years, and especially since we've been in Luke, Acts, and, and looking at the whole concept. Uh, Jesus doesn't make statements like he made in Luke chapter 23 to 27 without reason. Uh, he had already said in verse 21, notice, but he, that is Jesus, warned them and instruct them, instructed them to tell this to no one saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised up on the third day. And he was saying to them, this is repeatedly, all, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake 
He is the one who will save it. For what is it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Often, often suffering is impossible to understand. But there is a person and a work that makes suffering understandable. It actually turns the, uh, the difficulties of suffering into a privilege of following after the Lord. Peter gives us how they did this. The apostles, as we've seen in Acts, are going through uh, numerous sufferings and persecutions. We've seen it, right? They were beaten. They were stoned to death. Or they were stoned and left for dead. We will see it continues on as it goes along. How do these apostles do it? How do we survive in this world? Well, contrary to much of what evangelicalism says, God does call us to go through difficulties in this world. It's a fact. How do we deal with it, though? Well, if your faith is based on avoiding pain, listen to me, if your faith is based on avoiding pain, you're following the wrong Savior. Why? Because he says, pick up, my, pick up his, your cross and follow me. That means death is a, a reality. Denying yourself and pain is going to be your life. And how you deal with it is crucial. The answer is you must know the one you're following in the suffering. You must really understand who he is and what he's done. It's the only way. That's what we see in 1 Peter. Turn your Bibles over to 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter started this book, this beautiful book, with an overview of their salvation. The great salvation. The one that the angels long to look on. Describing and showing the glory of being bought by the Savior. And how even the, the prophets of old had longed to look and, and search carefully to understand this person and sufferings that were going to happen in Christ. Then Peter called the Christians to their set-apart life. In verses 13 to 2.10, verse, chapter 1, verses 13 to 2.10, this is that they are set apart to glorify God, to be holy as He is holy, to understand that the Father is our God and that we should fear Him, a reverential fear for Him that leads to loving one another and longing for the pure milk of the Word, as chapter 2, verses 1 to 3 talk about. Then in chapter 2, verses 11 to 12, Peter gives the instruction to practical Christianity. And I want you to look at those two verses. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. These verses are the summary of the Christian's life. This is practical Christianity 101. Again, let's look. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers, abstain from fleshly lust which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the things which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God 
in the day of visitation. In these verses, the theme of suffering as aliens in this world is introduced. That whole concept of suffering as aliens. Again, what does he mean by aliens? It's, it's that this is not our home. We are just temporary residents of this place. And this is not what it's all about. This world is not what we're all about. Everybody that's a Christian, we're different. We're, we're distinct. And to be distinct and different implies that there's going to be suffering here. Why? Because the world does not love aliens, especially Christian aliens. And as a whole, we are going to face persecution and difficulties. We see here that the set-apart believers were identified as strangers. They are called to a holy living in this world. They are called to excellent behavior in this world, even when persecution arises. They are introduced to the concept of suffering for righteousness' sake, for the purpose of soul winning. Because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. What this means is, is that God will use our Christian testimony as a reason for worship for those whom God works in to save. In other words, as we live out our alien status and people see us living a righteous life despite the circumstances we're in, what's going to happen is is. God's going to be glorified by other people when they say, when God shows them salvation, when they're visited by God, then they will worship God. So Peter is explaining, look, the Christian walk is this way. Listen closely. It means suffering for the glory of God. Now, I know that's not what we're taught in most of Christianity here, is it? And most of us in the room probably are thinking, well, I really don't wish I would have showed up today. So what you're telling me is, is, here's the plan for your life. You ready? You're going to suffer. You're, going to supposed to, you're supposed to suffer for the glory of God. It's going to happen, and it's going to be a regular occurrence. Now, Peter begins to give examples. Look, he gives an example of the Christian submission to authority in this life. In verses 13 to 17... What makes this so shocking is who the authorities are that he tells them to submit to. Verse 13, Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king, as the one in authority. Now, what's shocking about this is Peter was talking about the Roman government and often Jewish authorities in various areas. Peter is writing this after persecution of the Christians had already started. Peter was writing this Christian to Christians that were scattered probably because of what? Persecution. So he's telling them, submit to authorities that what? May be foolish men and may persecute you. Yet he says, honor all people, verse 17, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Who is the king that he's referencing here? It's not Jesus. In this context, he's talking about Nero. Just a few years after this letter's written, two or three, maybe four years later, Nero would begin a brutal persecution on the Christians. 
Already the Romans had begun to do this to persecute Christians, but Nero picked the Christians to blame a fire on Rome, in Rome as scapegoats for his desire to move the capital from Rome. He picked them because the Christians were the hated ones of the empire. Christians were considered blasphemous evildoers because they denied emperor worship and the Greek gods many worshipped. They were committed to Jesus, so they were the easiest ones to pick on and blame for his desire to move to the capital from Rome. So that's why they got blamed. So Peter writes to these Christians who were scattered in many cases because of the persecution they faced, and in many of their hometowns, they were constantly under this. They were aliens, and yet, what's he tell them? Honor all people. Wow, do you see how contrary this way of thinking is to the way that we're taught in our world? Everything that's said in the Bible, it seems, especially passages like this, just go totally contrary to the way we're taught in the world, isn't it? I mean, think about this, folks. Even those who mistreat you, honor them. Even the emperor that's going to use you as human torches, honor him. What? And as we see next, notice, Christian servants must be submissive to earthly masters in all circumstances. Look at 18. Servants, be submissive to the masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. This would not go over in our society at all, does it? I mean, this is the total opposite of what we're taught. If you have an unreasonable boss, what do you do? Complain. Call somebody, call the government. Hopefully they'll get you out of the circumstance. He's saying submit to them anyway. Beloved, we are not called to a life of ease and rest while we're on this planet. I was reminded of that as I was preparing my way to come up here. Look, we live amongst a bunch of sinners, and we are what? Foremost of all. Things aren't easy. We are called to live set-apart lives in a world that does not love our King. We are called to live holy lives trusting in the shepherd and guardian of our souls. We are called to live lives of submission to ungodly authorities. We are called to sacrifice for the ungodly. I don't know about you guys, but our culture and our society has a problem submitting to good authorities, much less ungodly ones. Is that not true? That's us. That's me. That's everybody in this room still, right? Because we're told to be Treated fair is what we are owed, aren't we? The scriptures say that's the opposite. We're taught the opposite. We are called to suffer for righteousness' sake. Again, this is so different from the wicked message of much of Christianity in America. Peter's message here is absolutely opposite of what much of the watered-down Christian message 
But friends, this is this life of sacrifice and sufferings for Christ is what our calling is. How many of you would like to know what your calling is? You want to know what your calling is? You want to know? Okay, let's look at verse 21. Here's your calling. You want a calling? Everybody wants a calling. <laughs> Here's your purpose. Here's your calling. For you have been called for this purpose. What is the purpose that he's talking about? This purpose. He doesn't give it after. It's referring to something that happened what? Before. Here's your purpose. Here's your calling. Verse 20. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. That's the purpose. That's the calling. Suffer for righteousness sake. Endure it so you can please God. That's totally opposite of anything anybody teaches you. Right? This is the calling, to suffer for doing what's right. We have a problem with the first verse, 20. We get upset when we take a spanking for something that we deserve. That's too harsh a penalty. Oh, this is too hard. When we're the ones that got ourselves in the jam. Why do you think so many people file bankruptcy? I'm, I know, I'm stepping on toes. We spent the money. We went in debt up to our eyeballs. But I can't buy a house now because my credit's not good. Oh. Beloved. That's not what he's talking about in 1 Peter here. Do you understand, folks, that if we get a spanking for doing something wrong anyway, that's not like, look at me, I'm enduring this. Isn't that great? Isn't God glorified in this? No. That's not what we're talking about here. If you get a spanking for doing something right, wrong, take it. Own it. Step up. Maybe we'll learn not to do it again. Here he's talking about people that were suffering for righteousness sake. I don't know about you guys, but that's not something I have happened to me all the time. How about you? This is the calling, to suffer for doing what's right and patiently endure it. This theme is all the way through the book. It starts in 2.15. Again, it's mentioned there. Suffering under foolish men. 2.18. Suffering as servants under, for, under unreasonable or perverse masters. 3.1. Ladies, look at this one. 
Look at this one. Oh, this one's painful. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are what? Disobedient to the word. They may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. Submit to husbands that are disobedient to the word? That sounds like suffering to me. What about you? How about 314? Suffering for doing right in all circumstances. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed, favored by God. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. Or how about 4-4? I want to read this whole section, 4-4. It drives me crazy when I love you college students, but in career, young single people come up to me and ask the question, is it all right if I drink alcohol and go out to the bars and all these things and you're... You're asking me these things, and no, I'm not saying alcohol's a sin. Come on, I'm not going there. But listen, look at 4.1. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourself also with the same purpose. Because he who, su who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them in the same excesses of dissipation. And they malign you. Boy, this doesn't go over at all in the relevant church, does it? If you're not being maligned, is it possible because you look just like the world? Oh! <gasps> If we are being maligned, it might be because we're distinct from the world. Suffering for righteousness' sake. I know I'm being harsh. I'm sorry. I love you. You know I love you, right? I'm just telling you the truth. How about 412? Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of His glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, verse 14, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory of God rests on you. Oh, folks, do you see the difference? Isn't it dramatic? It goes all the way down to 19. Therefore, those who also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Look over at 5. 5.9. Five, Here's some more suffering. Start in verse 8. Be sober of spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Boy, that's some suffering, isn't it? But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that in this, the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be glory or dominion forever and ever. Amen. 
Friends, do you see this whole book is about what? Suffering for righteousness sake. At this point, you're saying, okay, suffer, 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 give me a break. Is that what we're called to? This is what he's talking about in 2.1. Look, 21. For you have been called for this purpose. You want to know what your calling is? Suffer for righteousness sake. All those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We see two key motivations here in this verse in 21. For embracing our calling of suffering. Notice first, because Christ also suffered for us. And second, because Christ left us an example for us to follow in His steps. Beloved, Christ's saving work on our behalf is the motivation for us to embrace our calling. To not run from that calling. To see it as the privilege it is. Why do the apostles and the prophets and the, and the disciples of Christ, after being persecuted, walk out rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for His namesake? Why can they say that? Why do they say, yes, answer, because of Christ's saving work on their behalf? And two, Because they knew their Savior's example was that. There's an important caution I want to give to you here. Jesus is not only an example for us. In other words, He's not just an example for us. Following His example does not get us into heaven. This is a deceptive form of works righteousness. The Roman Catholics say this. Follow His example... And you will avoid a long period of time in purgatory. This is not what Peter is saying here. Peter is saying, because Christ saved you, redeemed you, delivered you from bondage of sin and the penalty of sin, we are therefore motivated to follow his example. There's a difference. Huge difference between following an example of suffering in order to save yourself and following his example because he has saved you through his death. Big difference. Did you hear the two differences? Big difference. Peter's focused on the second one. Following his example because he has saved you through his death, burial, and resurrection. This passage gives us a view of Christ's work on the behalf of the believers. And then an example for us to follow. Let's look at it. That was the introduction. The example of Christ's suffering. Let's look. For us in the, to follow. In verses 22 to 24. Notice it states. Who committed no sin. Nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled. He did not revile in return. While suffering. He uttered no threats but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. This is one of those passages, like I mentioned, that everybody should memorize. This is amazing. 
This is one of those short gospel presentations that needs to pepper our thoughts constantly. We need to be thinking on this truth. This is the gospel in less than 70 words. Anybody want to know how to shrink down a gospel presentation? You did it beautifully, perfectly. And yet in these words is the foundation of everything that we do as Christians. It's the basis. Who Jesus is and what He has done is our motivation to follow Him. Look, the problem is always this when suffering arises. Our attention gets on the circumstance instead on the one who bought us and has sovereignly given us the suffering to walk through. Do you understand? When difficulties arise, our attention gets on our rights and our circumstances instead of on Christ and what He's done. This is why for us to go and think that our culture is going to get this, our society is going to get this without an understanding of Christ and the gospel is absolute craziness. The social gospel does not work. It doesn't work. I promise it doesn't work. You know why? You know why it doesn't work? Because unless you understand the depth of your depravity and that Jesus died, you will not respond appropriately to any kind of persecution. You're not going to get it. You're going to complain about your circumstances. You've got to understand the gospel or you will not survive when trials come through. But if we understand who He is, and we embrace who He is, and we trust in who He is, then we will not only survive, but thrive in the moment. Look at it. Let's look at Him. Jesus was innocent. Jesus committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in His mouth. This is shocking in light of the depravity of humanity, isn't it? No man or woman has probably ever made it a day, a single day, without a sinful thought. But Jesus made it His entire life. He never lied. Every single person in this room and every human that's ever lived has lied. Every one of us. He never lied, not even one time. Innocent. Sinless. Honest. Righteous. Holy. This is a quote from Isaiah 53, right? Jesus is the fulfillment of, suffering, of the suffering servant that we read. Now, when we think about suffering, one of the biggest complaints is this. You ready? Injustice. Isn't that the complaint? Injustice. That's always the complaint. Injustice. There's only one person that could ever say perfectly, this is unjust. Injustice that you're treating me this way. The innocent one, Jesus. I know it's easy for me to say that, but it's a whole other thing to apply that, isn't it? Do you see why living the Christian walk is totally opposite of the world? 
Somebody says something bad to you, what's the natural response? Do you realize who you're talking to? I breathe just like you. I'm a human just like you. But when we say I'm a human just like you, what it should do is humble us. And we should immediately say what? Oh, yeah, I'm a sinner like you. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. Might not have been doing it at that moment, but definitely that's my heart apart from Christ. For most of sinners, that's who you're talking to. We don't think this way. But Jesus being innocent, folks, there was only one perfect innocent person who ever suffered, and his name is Jesus. Now, for the born-again believer, we're sometimes given the opportunity to suffer for doing what is righteous. This doesn't happen all the time. But because we are born again, sometimes God gives us opportunities to follow in the footsteps of the Master. And beloved, we should count it a privilege if it happens. We will count it a privilege when we are focused on our Lord's innocence in His suffering on our behalf. Again, why did He go through what He went through? For us. The innocent one was murdered... For us. That stops all complaints and it makes us do what? Thank you. You love me. That's enough. Notice the glory of the Savior. It continues. Jesus was abused. It says, while being reviled, he did not return revile. While suffering, he uttered no threats. This word revile means to be abused with words. Jesus was reviled or abused or insulted or loathed or detested. Oh, folks, when I think on this, I want you to understand, don't look at me as your example. <laughs> I understand that many of you in the room may be treated much worse than me. I get that. Don't listen to me. Don't look to me. Look to the one that was really reviled. <laughs> the innocent one who was mistreated. You keep your eyes fixed on him, and it doesn't matter what circumstance you are in. I am not your hope. He is your hope. And I don't stand in judgment over you, because I know I would blow it if I get my eyes on anything but him. Remember the abusive words. Look, Matthew 27, 29. And after twisting a uh, together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they knelt down before him, him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. You understand this is the God-man that they're mocking. The innocent one. Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Matthew 27, 39. And those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, You are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. 
In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him and saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him if he delights in him. For he said, I am the son of God. Do you understand? They're mocking him. They're shaming him. The innocent one. These are only a few examples of the reviling that he endured. Knowing that he's God, do you understand that he puts up with this every day? All the time? Do you understand that there's 7 billion people on the earth and most likely most of them, probably close to 6 billion, reject him? And in their rejection of him, they hate him. And they exchange the glory of him for a God made up in their own mind. Do you understand that God is being reviled all the time by millions of people and billions of people all the time? And what does he do? He continues to feed us. Who are we? To say, I deserve better. Who are we? And he came to earth and they killed him. Yet from the cross, what does he say? Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. He prays for the ones mocking him and killing him. This is just out of the world kind of love, isn't it? This is grace that goes so far beyond anything we can comprehend. Yet we can't handle it if somebody doesn't look at us right and say a kind word to us. Oh, that person ignored me today. Can't believe they don't like me. What are we doing? We've forgotten the cross. We've forgotten the gospel. And yet he endured all this for us. Doesn't this motivate you? (laughs) I want to be different, don't you? I don't want to be like the world. I don't want to fight for my rights. I want to lay my rights down. Because if I do what's right and I suffer for doing what's right, I'm going to show off what Jesus has done for me. I'm going to show off the king that died for me. I want to be like him. How about you? 
How do we do it? We be like him. What did he do? Notice, Jesus was faithful. He was faithful. Jesus constantly entrusted himself to him who judges righteously. This, again, is so contrary to the way we think. See, when, when we are mistreated, we immediately think, I want justice now, <laughs> don't we? I want it now. We want things made right now. You're going to apologize to me when? Now. All too often, spouses use that scripture, don't let the sun go down on their wrath, your anger. They use it as an excuse. My wife needs to apologize before we go to sleep. <laughs> there needs to be reconciliation and you need to get right with me. We're not going to let this die until you get right with me. Yeah, that's trusting the Lord. Yeah, I'm going to make her heart submit to me. I'm going to make her heart love me, apologize to me. That's crazy thinking. Jesus kept him trusting himself to the one who judges right. We think this has got to be fixed now. I've been offended. Get it right. And the problem is that we think our justification or our being made right or these things come from our circumstances here. And instead of entrusting ourselves to the creator, the God that's in control of all these things and that has brought this stuff into our life, we say, I want it fixed now, my way. I want justice my way now. I am so thankful Jesus didn't act like that. Because if he did, I would be in hell right now. And you would be too. If we did what the world was just in the world's mind's sake and their thinking... Do you understand Jesus wouldn't have died on a cross? You know what would have happened? If we did it with the way the world, because if he was innocent, everybody would have died. Do you understand? Everybody would have died. But God in his amazing grace and sovereign righteousness knew and determined a way for man to become justified with God, and it was through the death of His Son. So He takes in the impossible circumstances and uses it for our good. This is how we're called to respond to suffering too, by the way. And trusting is bound up in our dependence and reliance upon the sovereign, righteous reign of God. Again, why do bad things happen to good people? The answer is... That's the wrong question to ask. It is wrong from the beginning. It should be this. Why did bad things happen to the only one good person? 
That's the way the question should be. That's the only question you can ask. And then he gives you the answer, because of God's glory. Because I want to save a people for myself. Instead, he trusted himself or entrusted himself to the Father's just care. There's an important truth revealed in this passage. It tells us how we are supposed to respond to suffering. See, Jesus died. He entrusted himself. So when suffering comes, what do we do? We do what he did. We entrust ourselves to the Creator. And notice, Jesus was sacrificial. Some of the finest words. Look at these words. Jesus bore our sins in his body on the cross. <laughs> these are truly some of the finest words ever recorded, aren't they? And even more, they tell of the finest good news ever announced. Jesus bore our sins. At the cross, Jesus not only took the reviling and the persecution from the world, he took our sin upon himself in order to be our, an, our atonement. In a sense, at the cross, Jesus said, I will take the punishment due for their sin. Beloved, this is amazing, isn't it? Again, we say these truths. Jesus died for me, and it's like, it should go, it should baffle us, shouldn't it? I mean, that, that little phrase, Jesus died for me, becomes like, yeah, Jesus died for me. It should never be. It is the most glorious, amazing truth in all the world, isn't it? The innocent died for me. Why me? This is sacrificial love. And it motivates us, doesn't it? If we truly get this, this truth, this love makes us look at suffering as a privilege. It changes the way we think. This love makes dying to self possible. This is the love that makes us think of others more than ourselves. This is the love that makes husbands love their wives. This is the love that makes wives submit to their husbands, even when they're disobedient to the word. This is the love that makes employees sacrifice for their bosses. This is the love that causes us to honor those in authority over us, even if they're not worthy of honor. In a strange kind of way, I did look forward to the day that President Obama became president. Let me explain what I mean by that. And yes, I am getting a little bit into politics, but I'm not talking about policies per se. Here's why. Because the so-called religious right just wailed and wailed. Oh, they're treating Miss Bush wrong because of his policies. 
And did she, and and the fact of the matter is, is that there was not a lot of respect shown to Doc, uh, to President Bush. I'm being honest, it wasn't. But I look forward to the day when he became president. You know why? Because I knew that it was going to be time to step up for true Christians. Are you going to honor the king? And you know what? All you got to do is watch Facebook for 15 minutes and you'll see it. No respect at all for the so-called religious right. Lines are being drawn, folks. He's my president. I will honor him. I don't agree with a lot of his policies, but I will honor him. And that same goes for the police force. Being honest. I'm keeping it hundred. Hunted. It's both ways. Do you understand? You want to see who's a Christian? You see how they live out what they believe. We must honor the king. We must honor those in authority above us. It shows whether or not we really understand the love of God. People that know the sacrificial love of our Savior act different. Why? Because we've been delivered from the judgment we deserve. We love because He first loved us. We endure suffering because He endured suffering for us. We trust the Lord in difficulties because He trusted the Father in difficulties that were far worse than anything we go through. The gospel motivates us because it has delivered us who believe. Why did Jesus lay this path? This is what's really amazing. Why did He suffer? There's purpose. Look, 24. The purpose. And He Himself bore our sin in His body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by His wounds you are healed. For you were continually strained like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. This is better translated, so that we who died to sin should live in righteousness. We see the death of Christ has an effect on those who have repented and believed in the gospel. We are dead to sin and we are able to live to righteousness. Now folks, get this. This is so important. Jesus suffered with purpose. And the purpose was this. So that we could live. So that we could live. What does this mean? It means that we can live in righteousness. That we died to our old man and now that we have a new life in Christ. We are able to live out righteousness in this world. Why? Because Christ died and rose from the dead. That's the only reason why. The born again believer is no longer in bondage to sin. Do you understand? That is a glorious truth. We are freed from bondage to sin. And the penalty of sin because of Christ. Again, this means that there is a real objective change in the heart and mind for those who are born again. 
We have been made able to do what is right by the mind, the new mind that Christ gives us through the Spirit. We identify with His death because of our sin, because our sin is paid for. And we identify with His resurrection because we are now alive to righteousness. He died to set us free. That is good news, isn't it? Notice the purpose also. Jesus suffered so that we could be healed. By his wounds providing for our healing. Again, this healing is referring to, not referring to sicknesses or illnesses. Instead, it's pointing to our spiritual healing in Christ. New believers are different because God has healed us through the truth of the gospel applied to our hearts. Where wounds are healed. That is, we're no longer dead in sin. We can now live for Christ. And it stands out. Jesus did this for us. He laid down his life and rose from the dead for us. He put us above his own self. And the need for sacrifices now renewed. Notice Jesus suffered also so that we could return. We were continually straying like sheep. Isn't that us? That's me. A straying sheep. Sheep are notorious for straying and getting lost, right? The animal that is completely dependent upon the shepherd. The sheep. I love how God picks the animal in the animal kingdom that best fits us. We always pick the smart ones. The fact of the matter is, is he picked the dumb one to compare us. The one that's always straying. Isn't that the way we are? Sheep have no ability on their own to keep themselves safe and out of trouble. They are completely dependent upon the shepherd. And so what did God do? God sent his son, and his son came and died. And the son came to die and rise from the dead so that we could return to the shepherd and guardian of our souls. So that we could follow him. So that we could know him. So we could enjoy him. So we could be satisfied with him. So that we could follow him. Oh, do you see something here? Get this. This is important. I'm almost done. Hang in there. Listen. Follow Christ. Follow Christ. Who's Christ? the shepherd and guardian of our soul. Follow Christ. Why? Because you can. Why can you? Because he died for you. Because of the gospel. We need to understand that our world will not follow the shepherd and guardian of their soul without the gospel. They will not get it without an understanding that he died for them and rose from the dead and they have new life in him. So what is our mission? Real clear. Proclaim the gospel. Proclaim the shepherd. We want our wives to love us men. We want them to respect us and honor us. Maybe it will take us men stepping up 
It means satisfied with Christ's death, burial, resurrection. That will drive our wives to honor us. Listen, we don't want, it's not about just getting honor, correct? Every parent in the room can get their children to honor them with their lips. <laughs> I promise you. Every one of you can do it. Just a little bit of spankings help. I'm telling you. It works. Discipline, it works. Doesn't it? But I don't want their lips to honor me. I want their heart to honor me. The only way they're going to honor their father is if they know the heavenly father. And that comes through a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage. Thank you for this truth. Lord, we know that we don't deserve your kindness, your blessings. But we know that you have called us and set us apart for a great mission. The mission to pick up our cross and follow you. Lord, we will take up our cross and follow you because we know that you came and died for us taking our cross upon you. Help the, the glory of the gospel be the controlling principle in our life. Help us to view our circumstances as opportunities to glorify you. Help us to trust you in all circumstances. And help us to exalt King Jesus, our shepherd and guardian of our soul. We pray this in his name.